Consummate Athlete seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another bonus episode of the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We are very excited you're here on this lovely long weekend. Hopefully people are out enjoying it. Yes, we uh, are releasing this sometime along the Labor Day long weekend in 2020. Yeah, I'm really excited about this episode. So a couple weeks ago, some of you might remember we had Tamara Schmaltz on from the Cascade Bike Club, and she was talking about uh, equity in cycling and you know how to get more people of color, more women on bikes, and it was a really interesting conversation. And during it, she mentioned uh, these rides, these Peace Peloton rides, and I thought they sounded really cool. So what the Peace Peloton does is they have I mean, their first ride had 300 cyclists. And this is Port- still Portland? Where are we? Sorry, Seattle. Seattle. Okay. Uh, so this is in Seattle. They had 300 people show up. And the point was to, you know, talk about Black Lives Matter, to have these conversations while on a bike, um, but also to ride through historically black neighborhoods to see, you know, certain areas that have uh, like black history to them and right. talk about them and everything. Um, but the really cool part is that they start and finish at black-owned businesses. Right. Um, so so they've been a few layers to it then too, which and it's all local to that 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 movement that ride. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it's it's been going for since June, and we have the founder Doc Wilson on today to talk about you know how he got into cycling, how he you know came to to found Peace Peloton, sort of where it is, how it's grown, um, the origin story is hilarious i'm really excited for everyone to hear this because it kind of shows you don't necessarily need to have like months of planning in place to start something really cool okay that's cool yeah just see first steps that someone might do something similar yeah um and actually right now the reason part of the reason we wanted to get this out now is because during the tour de france they're actually um auctioning off or raffling off one of tj van gardner the team ef pro cycling uh, one of his bikes so you can go to peace peloton's website which i think is peacepeloton.com and enter to win that um, cool. and you know help support them in what they're doing and yeah i was excited to do this episode because when i first got into cycling i remember doing you know as as an adult getting back into cycling i was also some of you know my like more punk rock youth i was very into the the critical mass movement that we had going in new brunswick and that was where you just get you know, hundreds of people on bikes together. Usually it was like a, I think it was Tuesday nights in New Brunswick, but it depended where you were. Um, and you just ride around the city. But the point was you were sort of taking taking the lane, basically, and sort of demonstrating that bikes were as valid a form of transportation as cars. Right. Um, so that was sort of my first introduction to cycling was in terms of more of this like social justice side. So it's kind of cool to come back and talk to someone else who's doing something using bikes using using movement for to sort of bring people together but then also connect people as far as businesses and i like that that it's fairly local as much as they're i think you say they're going yeah they're starting up in other cities too now yeah yeah okay well that's that's cool i think that'll be again a practical one as well that we can people might spark some ideas off of yeah and i'm really excited we do talk about what to do if you don't live in seattle or you know a city where doing something like this is 
going to be easy or, you know, you don't have a piece of Peloton right around you. How can you, if not emulate it, sort of do the best you can to, to achieve the same gains that they are. Right. So it's pieces of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. So without further ado, enjoy this conversation with Doc Wilson. Doc Wilson. Um, yeah. I'm going to dive right in. So when someone asks you what you do these days, how do you answer? <laughs> oh, wow. My profession is a, a life coach. Uh, I help people examine uh, the way they approach uh, life's challenges and uh, guide them through the guide them through the process of making positive change. So that's what I do for a living. Uh, although the past three months or so, I've somewhat put my, my business on hold because. I've been wrestling with this uh, Peace Peloton nonprofit that's uh, consuming a lot of my time. And it's, well, it's not consuming. I'm giving my time to this project. Yeah, and before we, before we really get into what Peace Peloton is, I wanted to ask about your cycling background. So I um, read you started in Washington DC riding, like back in the day? Yeah, I mean, as a child, I grew up in Gary, Indiana. Uh, my parents were the typical blue collar. My dad was a steel worker. My mom worked in a hospital. Uh, so we didn't have a lot of money. So I, my dad would get us used bikes that he would find around. And then I, and the kids in my neighborhood started to, we learned, taught ourselves how to build bikes from just putting parts together from old scrap bikes. And then I let cycling go for a while, but it reemerged as a passion when I moved out to uh, the DC area and I was a, I started mountain biking for uh, quite some time. And I, I loved it and I made a transition to uh, road cycling uh, because of a girl, of course. And <laughs> actually, you know what? I don't hear that story very often. I hear every woman that I talk to got into cycling pretty much because either a dad or a boy. Uh, but I have not heard it from the men's side, so I love this. Yeah, yeah. My uh, my partner at the time, well, we found found out she had uh, uh, cancer, and she was a cyclist, a road cyclist, and she raced on a team, and she was very much into it. And um, because of the radioactive iodine uh, that she had to the radioactive iodine treatment she had to take it sort of zapped her energy and she became, she just didn't want to get on the bike anymore. So uh, being the good boyfriend that I was, I went out and bought an expensive road bike thinking that that would help motivate her to get out and ride and do this thing that she was passionate about, but she never picked it up again. However, I did <laughs> because unlike uh, mountain biking, I, I became addicted to riding in a straight line very, very fast. And I just, it took off from there. Okay. Wait, where does one mountain bike in DC also? Well, you're not going to mountain bike in the district. Uh, I spent a lot of time up in uh, at Lock Raven Park. That's up near, uh, Lock Raven Reservoir is up near Baltimore, north of Baltimore, near Towson. And there's a, there's a bunch of other trails out there. There's ones called Rosaryville. That's out in PG County in Maryland. So yeah, DC is pretty flat, but mm -hmm. once you leave DC or you go out to Virginia, there are some hills that you can you can rip it up in. 
Okay. Okay. Uh, so did you ever start racing on the road or ever interested no. in that side? No, not any formal racing. Uh, I did ride. Uh, I started to ride with a couple of groups and these groups just happened to be, you know, in, in cycling, there are levels of group like the A riders, which are the super fast folks. And then the D riders are the casual ice cream riders. Um, so yeah, I would ride with those groups and that sort of transition, I wanted, I wanted more people to get into cycling in groups, right? I would meet people and they would say, hey, I really want to ride with a group, uh, but I'm a little intimidated because these, these uh, men and women have these super expensive bikes and they ride, too, they ride so fast. And I thought, wow, what a shame. Everybody should be able to have that experience to ride on, just ride on a bicycle period, but to ride in a group. So I started a group called Saturday Cycle. And every Saturday at eight o'clock, I would invite people to come and join the bike, bike ride. It was a casual bike ride. I didn't tell them the route. It could be anywhere from five miles to, I think we went on a 70 mile ride one day. And they wouldn't know where we were going until we actually showed up. When I first started this, uh, I started this in 2000, oh gosh, 2013. Uh, there were four people on the first ride, and when I left, there were maybe 90 or so people in the group. So it was it was a lot of it was a lot of fun. I'm just trying to imagine showing up on a Saturday morning, not knowing if I was going five or 70 miles. Yeah, I and I it was my ignorance and my enthusiasm that brought that to bear. I remember one young lady. I can't remember her name, but uh, we went on a 60 mile ride. And when we got back, we would start at a bike shop and end at the bar that's next door to the bike shop. So we're all sitting around having beers. And I, I was chatting with her and I said, uh, is this the longest ride you've ever been on? And she said, yes. I, when I asked her the longest ride she'd been on before that, she said two miles. Yeah. <laughs> But she, she didn't complain. She didn't, she was slow because she wasn't very experienced, but she did it. She, she, she stayed with it and never once did she ever complain about anything. She just kept having That's Maybe. awesome. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And I feel like that actually is almost like you, you kind of hit the missing puzzle piece because I think there's all of these like very beginner rides and then all mm -hmm. of a sudden you're into like the a b ride and there's yeah. not a whole lot of that like middle ground where we're gonna push your limits like or maybe we're not maybe we're gonna ride for like 30 minutes and then hang out yeah, yeah. so i i really like that but then you ended yeah. up moving across the country to seattle when was that yeah. yep uh that was fine and i experienced the same i experienced a different riding experience so in seattle there's an organization called cascade bicycle club I'm not sure if you're familiar but um they um, the, the, the group rides were predominantly white men over 40, and again, they would ride these really expensive bikes. And I thought, oh, this is a drag. There was, it wasn't bad. I shouldn't say that, but there was no diversity. It, it, it didn't feel welcoming. And so I just started, I, I, would, I would ride by myself and I would see people, black and brown people and women and transgender or whoever and say, hey, you want to a ride we're gonna ride on Sunday and then we just started you know a bunch of people would just meet at a coffee shop and start writing 
I love, it's so easy if you actually are just willing to, to chat with people and start making those connections. Like yeah, one of the questions to... we always get asked is like, oh, how do I find like a local cycling group or whatever? I don't have one. It's like, well, just ask people to ride. Yeah, you have to you have the courage to be the first to say hello. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the challenge that people have. And, and I just figured if the, if the group doesn't exist, maybe I should make the group. I should cultivate mm -hmm. the group. So I don't have a problem saying hello to people. And it just, it kind of blossomed from there. The, the nervous introvert in me is just like, I might need like business cards or something to start putting in my jersey pocket to like hand out. It's just like, hey, do you want to be my friend and ride with me? Because uh, <laughs> I find that terrifying. <laughs> yeah. so, it's only, it's only going to be uncomfortable for a little while. Because the, the chances are that the person you're approaching is just as nervous as you are, but they also want to connect and they just don't want to be the first to say hello. Yes, absolutely. Um, so you were doing that informally. Was the Peace Peloton sort of the first like formal group thing that you've started since getting to Seattle? Yeah, Peace Peloton wasn't, it, it didn't start out formal. It started out... Uh, <laughs> So I, I was with a friend, Ed Ewing, who's an activist in the city and a, a big, big time cyclist in the city. He, uh, so he and I were doing an interview on the Ron and Don show. They have a podcast. And as interviewers do towards the end of the session, they say, okay, you guys have any closing remarks, anything you, else you want to add? And I just blurted out, oh yeah, by the way, we're going to, we're going to, we're organizing a bike ride this weekend. It's called Peace Peloton. Invite all your friends. We're going to ride from the beach, Alki Beach, up to the Northwest African American Museum. And our mission, I was making all of this up on the spot. <laughs> Man, good thing you came up with a good name. <laughs> I was, I made it all up right then. And, uh, my buddy Ed, after the interview, he said, dude, what's wrong with you, man? We don't know. It was a Wednesday. It was a Wednesday. And I'm saying, yeah, we're going to make this, do this bike ride on Saturday. You know, it, it was just the opportunity to take advantage of. I knew that they had this large audience. And I'm thinking, we should take advantage of this audience and put something out there. Mm -hmm. So uh, I put some flyers. To, the, our very first flyer is right behind my head. Uh, it's actually my a really nice flyer. Yeah, she put that together and uh, we went out thinking we're going to have maybe 30 riders, maybe 50 if it's a nice sunny day and people are motivated. We had about 350 riders show up on the very first ride. It was, it was something. Okay. Was Your feelings when that amount of riders showed up were you just totally panicking like oh no how do i how do i navigate them this far <laughs> like how do i lead this giant group ride i i didn't and um well i was confident that i i i had a, a group of people who i invited who i knew were experienced riders and they were going to be the ride leaders and corkers and, and take care of all the ride logistics um I, j I just didn't know what to do with all of these people. And they ke just kept coming. And at some point, I just let it all go and just started waving and welcoming people and introducing myself. And it kept going from there. We invited um, a, there's an organization in town called Bike Works, and they have a bike mobile. It's a mobile mechanics uh, truck. 
And they were nice enough to lend their, you know, to bring their mechanic and he drove the truck out there. So it looked sort of official with this bicycle mechanics truck and hundreds of people. And I just, I had a really good time. I spoke to the people, I spoke to the moment. I talked about some of the hardships and the disparities in our community, uh, how black and brown people have been marginalized and denied access to resources within the economic scope of life and how this group was going to, this group was going to do something about that. Yeah, we weren't gonna sit around. I, I wasn't satisfied with the protest or demonstration model um, and there's nothing wrong with it, but a lot of the a lot of the outcomes from those types of uh, events are awareness. Now people are aware, but they don't actually get to the doing part. They don't actually get to the implementation part, right? Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make sure that this we were implementing our we were we were making actionables actionable our words, right? We say that we are for economic reform for Black people. How are we going to demonstrate that? And we demonstrate that by Every, uh, every other Saturday, we uh, invite a critical mass of cyclists together and we meet at Black-owned businesses and we take the Peloton throughout the city, educating people on uh, how the communities that we ride through, the neighborhoods we ride through were impacted by redlining laws back in the 90s and how, why, why there's so much segregation in the city. And then we would end at another Black-owned business and so it's not just the impact of commerce on, in the moment, uh, meaning we don't just go to these businesses and then just leave them alone. We work with them after, uh, after our visit to capture 20 to 25% of that customer base that we invited to come to their business so that they can have a sustainable uh, business going forward. So we stay in the communities, we work with these businesses, we ask them what they need and if we're able to provide it, we provide that service for that support for them. It's just so like beautifully practical. It's just, it, yeah, it's so perfect to me. You're kind of combining everything, right? You have like the health element of like getting out on the bike. You have the, the history element and the education element. And then you actually have the practical actionable like, okay, we're talking about economic reform. And I think you, you wrote it in a blog, like economic reform is reaching into my wallet and taking out $10 and spending it at a black owned business. Yes. It's just, it's such a very neat, tidy way of doing something really practical. And I, I love yeah. it. Such yeah. a good model. And I'm, I'm kind of blown away that it hasn't been done, <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that this isn't just everywhere now. Yeah. But I mean, speaking of everywhere, uh, so clearly it went well. You've been doing it every other week. Now it's in Tacoma. You have plans for other cities. How are you? How is it spreading? What's what does that look like? Um, yeah. So we're having conversations with uh, people in New York. I spoke with a woman who came and spoke at one of our events uh, about a month ago, and we're planning to take a, open a chat, launch a chapter in New York. Uh, we're having uh, conversations with a group of folks in East London, in Los Angeles, and in Portland, Oregon. And the way we find them is uh, we have a sponsor, uh, EF Pro Cycling, and they have a large network of cyclists. So they put the word out. So people will come to our website and they'll reach out to me via that channel. Uh, we're starting to get very pop. We're getting a lot of press right now. So people reach out 
and ask uh, what they can do and how they can support. And so we're still solidifying that model, the, the model where we take these uh, the chapters to different cities. And I've been studying, well, I've been reviewing some models that already exist to see how the branding works and the operation works for uh, a chapter in different cities. It's easy for us to do it in Tacoma because it's 30 miles down the road, so we can just you know, drive down or ride our bikes down and have a conversation with them. But we're looking to build this, we're, we're looking to do it the, the right way, right? The way that's going to bring about the most significant impact for black people and black businesses. In, I, I wanna make sure that we're doing everything we can to remove the adjective marginalized from our communities mm -hmm. and just be communities. Yeah. I also really love that you you started like very quick and now it's it's figuring out how it all goes. I feel like that's, yeah, that's yeah. a thing a lot of people wouldn't do, just kind of like put it out there, get it going, and then, you know, figure out the nitty gritty. Most people try to spend too much time on the, the nitty gritty and like the organization and this, that, and the other thing. And now it's been three years and <laughs> they're finally yeah. getting the first ride done. Yeah, I think the key to our offerings are threefold. Uh, our offerings are access, community, and fun. 75% uh, of the feedback that I get from individuals who participate on these in the ride programs say, this is the most fun I've had in a long time. Mm -hmm. And that's valuable. So they're coming out to have fun, but they're actually making a difference with their dollars. Yeah, right? yeah. And are you seeing like a mix of people coming out like from the, the you know, stuffier cyclists with the really fancy bikes to yep. the families bringing their kids and everything yeah that's that's the wild thing about this they we, we live in seattle so seattle's not a very diverse town it's probably seven percent black or something like that but on these rides we see um white black old we see the elite riders we see the people the folks on the old school schwen varsities we see families with little babies and trailers. We see e-bikes, we have skateboarders, we had a unicycle in Tacoma. Uh, all are, we're not gonna turn anyone down, but we're not gonna stand for any nonsense and foolishness. And that's why it's important for people to know that uh, Peace Peloton isn't just the nomenclature of this organization, it's, it's what we do. We do things peacefully, but we're, peaceful means uh, absent of violence. It doesn't mean that we're not going to make noise and we're not going to disrupt uh, the, the processes that led us to this space. Mm -hmm. That yeah, makes sense? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, but um, we have all types of writers and that really makes me feel good when I look out and just see all it, people from all walks of life, all types of economic backgrounds and heritage and you know, just everybody, just everybody comes out and has a good time. It's, yeah. it's really, really good time. Oh, I love it. Um, and I know I, I've seen, you know, you, you write about this or be interviewed about this before, but I, I'd love to, you know, hear it for, for this, the sake of the podcast and sure. for, for my own personal edification. Um, big cycling clubs, a lot of them now are, you know, starting to say like, oh, we need to start having more diversity and inclusion and, you know, be part of this, the, the Black Lives Matter movement, and we want to do the right thing, but we, we don't know how. Um, yeah. what, is your, what is your response to them? You know, at, at first I was, at, at first I was upset, 
this was right after uh, George Floyd was uh, murdered on TV, right? Mm -hmm. Live broadcast, everybody sees it. And all of my white friends started coming to me and saying things like, oh my God, what can we do? Can I'm like, what is going on? And so I called my black friends and say, hey man, are people calling you? And they're like, yes, white people are calling me. And say, what can we do? <laughs> I'm like, man, come on. Okay. You almost so, needed to like have a voicemail recorded with just like. <laughs> <laughs> so I then started getting calls from these large organizations saying, you know, how can we do this? And you know, what are your what are your thoughts on this? And it, initially, I was going back to what I said earlier. I was a little angry. Like, why now? Mm -hmm. Racism didn't just start today. What what's the deal now? Right, your is your bottom line getting impacted now? All of a sudden, you want to you know embrace these marginalized communities that you probably had a hand in marginalizing. I was not very happy, and then that trans my why now uh, transition to how now? Like, what can you do? And if they're and when they come to me and they ask me what they can do, I said, well, we have some amazing programs at Peace Peloton. You can pay us. You can give us money. And you don't don't come to black communities asking black people to give you something for free when you go to white communities and you pay them for their knowledge. Pay these people for their knowledge. Stop asking them to sit on your committees and then you give them cookies and coffee. You don't give white people cookies and coffee. Pay them. Mm -hmm. Give them money. That is economic reform. Stop taking advantage. Stop getting this information from for free, especially when you. So now I'm getting all hot and bothered about. Oh, nope, I love it. I love it. <laughs> especially when you spent years and years neglecting these communities. Now all of a sudden you want to come down and pass out T-shirts in the uh, black communities and say we are the people. No, you're not. Mm -hmm. You need to, you need to show you need to show up. And I also tell them. Be prepared for outrage because you've had every opportunity before COVID, before all of this ra this recent race racial injustice to do something about it. And mm -hmm. you knew about it and you chose not to. You mm -hmm. chose to stay up north where there's the high net worth households uh, where they exist and you just ignore these people. Now, all of a sudden, here, here you come like a white knight into the black neighborhoods like, hey, what do you need black people? Black people not standing for that. Yeah. yeah. Peace Peloton is about, about uh, access, providing access for people who were marginalized. Access meaning access to finances, uh, banking uh, and business opportunities and education, just access period. The same access we were denied, black people were denied, black and brown people were denied for so long. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's with economic reform, we don't have to ask anyone's permission to spend our money. We can do, we can make that change right now in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have to go to our local governments with prison reform and healthcare reform and all these different reforms. You need some government buy-in. We don't need anybody to tell us to do anything. We can reach in our pocket and support local businesses. We can implement these, uh, we can implement uh, apprenticeship programs and mentorship programs. We can have uh, business uh, business plan competition programs. We've got a lot of really cool programs that we're implementing uh, that are going to be rolled out in the next couple months or so that are going to sustain Peace Peloton for the long run. Yeah. I mean, if 
if people want to help, you can certainly give, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, all right, I, I, I'm getting. <laughs> there's just so much to do. There's so much to do, and I, I think another uh, another challenge that I've been seeing and experiencing is, and this comes from this political uh, political space, is this notion that black people want to take something from white people mm -hmm. nothing can be further than the truth uh black people just want black people's what we want our own that's it that's all we want we yeah. want the same opportunities we want the same equity as white people have that's it nobody's that's gonna, nobody's gonna come to your neighborhood and take your house or take your car or take your, your, you know, take, take money from your bank account. That just doesn't exist. That's nonsense that you hear from, uh, in political speak. It's yeah, just, yeah. yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's, that's a great answer to that question. Um, this, this one might be a, an even stranger question. Um, yeah, let's people, hear like well, so as you as you mentioned, you know, Seattle is only you know seven percent ish uh, black. Right. What if someone lives in a community that's, I mean, like ninety nine percent white? That is so excited about this. They're reading the books. They're donating, and they they like want to do more. But they live in an area where, like, Peace Peloton just wouldn't make sense because they're rural. Um, what can they do other than donating with Peace Peloton? Um, we need uh, we need volunteers. Everyone on this team is a volunteer. Uh, I'm the only one who's full time, and I don't get paid. I'm a full time volunteer. Um, God love the full time volunteers. Yep. I know it's 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 exhausting, but the the work has to be done. Uh, they can support by getting the word out. You know, we post a lot of stuff on social media. Uh, they can talk to their local newspapers. They can talk to their local chambers of commerce and see how they can support. And that's the important thing when I mention the chambers of commerce. There are not enough black businesses in the city of Seattle to sustain a bike program like the one that we have. Eventually, right. we're going to run out of businesses to go to. So it's not just about uh, black businesses. So we we supporting black businesses. It's also about white business, white-owned businesses and Latino-owned businesses supporting Black businesses. An ex example of that, there is an organ, um, uh, there is a business, it's called Lake Realty. It's in the Green Lake neighborhood of Seattle, owned by a white guy. And uh, we were looking for a place to park a food truck for our last event. They, they, the food trucks didn't want to park in the park because of COVID and they didn't want to have any challenges with the park department. So we were looking for a private space. I went and talked to this gentleman, Jason Wells, who owns it. He says, absolutely, I support what you do. You can park here, you can use our restrooms, you can uh, you know, use our power outlet, whatever you need, just let us know. That's the type of support that we can get from that 99% white neighborhood. Just, just support. We're not mm -hmm. taking anything from you. We just brought 300 people to your realty company who wouldn't otherwise know about it someone may buy a house someone may be looking for a house and like hey this guy supports peace peloton so oh absolutely i'll buy my house from him yeah i love it um, the other thing we can do oh i'm sorry molly go ahead no no go ahead i have uh, another <laughs> larger scale question <laughs> the other support that we can get from organizations like that is these mentor programs let's say we've got some uh, young black man or young black woman 
who wants to get into the realty, uh, into real estate. So Jason could work with us to help develop that individual through a mentorship or apprenticeship program to get, you know, some hands-on experience, learn the ins and out of it. And then uh, on the back end, Peace Peloton can give this individual some seed money if they wanted to open up their own real estate company after they went through the certification program. Those are the types of programs that I believe are going to sustain this organization and keep us growing. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. That's, again, it comes back to that really nice, like good circle of things that everyone is getting helped with that. It's fantastic. We have to help each other. That is the only way that we as humans are going to thrive. I think that's why we've been having a big challenge with this COVID thing. We're social creatures. We're not meant to be isolated. We need each other to, to grow and to thrive. Yeah, yeah. And that was actually exactly what I wanted to ask you about is, I mean, in addition to all of the other challenges, you're starting us up in a global pandemic. So how have, yeah. you, how have you handled doing all of these large-scale gatherings and stuff. I imagine it's kind of a nightmare. Uh, it can be. Uh, the first thing we do is we're just honest with everyone and tell them, you know, we respect your reticence to participate in a large gathering. Uh, again, you can donate to us. You can help with volunteer work. You can do some back office stuff. We're migrating information from hard copy sheets to uh, uh, computer databases. So we need help with that. We need help with our website design. So, but when people do show up, we have, we happen to live in a city that pays attention to the science, right? If you're going to be outside, there, you have less of a risk. Uh, we ask people to distance 10 feet from each other. I don't know where that six feet thing came, uh, how that came together, but we asked 10 feet. We asked that our cyclists stay two bike lengths apart on the road. Everyone wears a mask when they're sitting at the beginning and the end of the events. Uh, we have hand sanitizer everywhere. We have two microphones, one for me and one for guest speakers. So we're not uh, contaminating the microphones. We wear gloves. Our volunteers wipe down the pens and pencils that people use. So we, we do everything that we have. We follow the guidance of the CDC and our local public health officials uh, as best we can. But the, it, uh, I, I talked about honesty in the beginning. The, the truth is people are coming out and they're taking a risk. That's, mm -hmm. that's the truth. So I, 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 I kind of I had a feeling that question was going to come out. And I used to get frustrated when I would go to these restaurants and they say, well, what about COVID? And I'd say, well, what about it? That's, it's COVID. You watch yeah. the news just like I do. We're all out here doing this thing and no one is being asked to you know, do something that is going to jeopardize their lives. You make a choice with your life. I know the choice that I'm making is to continue to lead these efforts because racism and injustice does not stop because of COVID, because it's raining outside, because it's cold, because I'm sick or I'm well, it does not stop. Mm -hmm. I am, I'm, I have heard people, and it's predominantly white people who say things like, uh, I, I, I remember I was in a, uh, I was talking with a group of people about a month ago and there were two uh, women who happened to be white who said, oh my God, I can't wait till things go back to normal. And I interrupted them and said, well, that's because normal worked for you. Normal didn't work for people who look like me. So I'm going to do everything I can to make sure your wish does not come true to make sure we don't go back to that normal. Mm -hmm. And they looked at me and their faces turned red and I walked away and finished my cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I think we can all also accept that like, it's just not going back to normal. Like old normal is that's so six months ago. Yeah. And the thing about Peace Peloton is we want to position people to design the lives that they want and not follow some blueprint, not go with some normal, just say, here are the resources we now have access. How do we want our lives and our livelihoods to look? That's what we want. We want to allow people the opportunity of choice that's been denied them. And it's still being denied them today. All you yeah. need to do is turn on the news and you'll see, oh yeah, Black people are being denied these opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, fantastic. Okay, so where can everyone find Peace Peloton on the internet, figure out how to volunteer, donate, everything else? Yeah, you can go to peacepeloton.com, P-E-A-C-E-P-E-L-O-T-O-N.com. Uh, that'll take you directly to our website. We're looking for a web designer, web developer. Our website is a, it's right now, it's an expensive uh, flyer because we, we needed to get something up so we can have a dedicated website, right? Uh, but it hasn't been built out yet. So we're looking for a web designer. Peacepeloton.com, the website, uh, at Peace Peloton on uh, Instagram and Twitter. And there's a Facebook page. I can't remember what it is. Just go to Facebook and look up. If you just Google Peace Peloton, it's going to come up. Yep. Also, can we just talk about the fact that peacepeloton.com was available? Like that's, that's just fate right there because that feels like it should have been one that was like taken up when you came up with that name on the fly. <laughs> yes. And uh, after our first event, uh, a gentleman, um, he's the videographer for EF Pro Cycling. He's over in uh, France right now filming the team for uh, Tour de France. He called me up and said, I have something for you. And he sent me an email and he purchased the URL peacepeloton.com and gave it to me. He said, you just had 350 people show up at this ride. Someone is gonna take notice and someone's gonna take that URL, URL so I bought it. Now, we're a nonprofit. We're, uh, we, we have our articles of incorporation and recognized as a nonprofit in the state of Washington. And usually when you think of a nonprofit, you think of uh, a .org URL. So after like six or five or so events, I went back to uh, the hosting sites to purchase peacepeloton.org. Now peacepeloton.com peacepeloton was $25. Peacepeloton.org is now $700. I refuse to pay $700. Fair, fair. And I just kind of figure we are now the dot-com nonprofit. We will not pay $700 for .org. I think that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay with it. That's hilarious. Oh, and I'll also link in this episode to that video that the EF guy did because it's a super cool little intro to what you guys are all about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, Thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat and like, tell me about all of this. It, it was very cool getting, getting to talk to you. Oh, one more thing. We've yes. got uh, uh, one more thing. Our next event is on September 5th. Okay. Uh, that's here in Seattle. And we, we launch a, we're going to have a bike benefit to coincide with the tour. So EF, our sponsor, gave us a, a pro bike. Uh, they gave us. TJ Van Garderen's bike. TJ is riding in the, in the tour. So go to peacepeloton.com for your opportunity to ride like a pro. 
we have his bike and we're just asking a $50 donation. And at the end of, uh, at the end of the tour, we're going to randomly pick a name out of a jar and say, oh, you just won TJ Van Garderen's bike. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, please do us a huge favor. Leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us bring on, you know, great new guests. And yeah, we'd also love to hear from you. You can find us on the interwebs um, at consummateathlete.com, at consummateathlete on Instagram. Uh, and I am at Molly J. Herford on Instagram and Twitter. And Peter is at Peter Glassford. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next week.